informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Now, we're talking the dairy markets, winter bull management, trends in the auction market, and more here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on the program. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. And as I mentioned, uh, quite a few interesting topics we're going to discuss here on today's show. We're going to go through what's happening in the dairy markets in just a second with Alyssa Badger from High Ground Dairy. We'll follow that up with a conversation about trends in the auction market and more with Casey Seymour from Moving Iron LLC and the host of the Moving Iron podcast. In segment three, Madison Kovarna with South Dakota State University Extension joins us for a discussion on winter bull management. Looking forward to that. And then I'll wrap up the show with a look at news headlines coming up here later on in segment four. Today's AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you have a diesel that doesn't mess around. Find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. All right, well, let's kick things off here on the program today, getting an update on what's happening in the dairy markets. Been seeing some volatility here as of late. Alyssa Badger with High Ground Dairy joins us. Alyssa, great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us once again on AOA. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I am. Anytime, Jesse. I love coming on and chatting dairy with you. Well, thanks, and we do appreciate it. Again, let's chat about dairy here. Just uh, overall, for starters, uh, recent uh, milk production report, how are things looking there? I know we've had plenty of volatility in these dairy markets overall the last, uh, really last year plus. Uh, mm. So walk us through what you found in that latest uh, milk production report and, and how things are looking right now. Yeah, absolutely. So the latest data we have is for September. We were down 0.2% year over year. So that's the third straight month that we were negative. Um the nice thing is it's improving a little bit. So August, we were down 0.8%, July down 0.7%. So yes, we're negative, but things are improving a little bit. Um, a lot of this negative milk production is because of the low margins that farmers had to endure earlier this year, uh, kind of hit with that double whammy of low milk prices at high feed costs. Uh, but also, as you may know, beef prices are rather high. So since farmers were dealing with such bad margins, they were capturing the income from sending cows to slaughter. So we saw a large reduction in cows on farm earlier this year. Um, still, you know, into the latest data, we're down 36,000 head on farm. Those slaughter rates have improved substantially. They're not as aggressive. Um, so we are expecting milk availability to revert back to flat or slightly positive by the end of the year. Okay. Okay. Well, as we're thinking about getting towards the end of the year, how is that demand overall doing, whether domestic or, or export demand? Uh, we got the holidays in front of us as well. So maybe we can tie both of those together. How are things looking right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So it depends on which product you want to discuss. Uh, domestic demand has not been great for cheese. Um, and that's negative because where milk is growing in the US, a lot of the negative milk is happening out West. So California, Texas, New Mexico, those are class four milk producing regions. So they make a lot of butter, nonfat dry milk. 
where we are seeing growth in milk is where we make a lot of cheese. So it's been kind of a double whammy as well for the cheese markets. So we're seeing more cheese production happen and then domestic consumption uh, hasn't been great. Furthermore, our exports, our cheese prices haven't been competitive on the international market. Um, we've seen a little bit of cheese move into Mexico, but our Asian demand markets aren't doing well right now. Um, so cheese has been a kind of bearish. There is a glimmer of hope um, for the potential for our exports to grow because we've, we're seeing European cheese prices rally here. So, um, and our prices are coming off. So we do see some potential for some strong cheese exports into Q2 of next year. So that is a glimmer of hope. And then you saw butter prices. Everyone saw butter prices. We stretched to record highs over $3.50. So we got to $3.50 and a quarter. This was the second straight year that we've seen butter prices stretch beyond that $3 level. Last year's squeeze made sense to us. Uh, we were short basically on everything last year. This year's fundamentals, they weren't really suggesting that, that we would see this happen again, uh, but there ended up being a really strong pull uh, in retail demand. And then at the same time that retail demand was picking up for butter, California's milk production took that big hit because of their low margins, as well as the heat waves that were happening around the country that impacted um, cow yields. So while the, the cold storage numbers were telling us we had plenty of butter, what we were short on was the CME eligible product. And that's kind of what sent prices to record highs here. So <laughs> we're yeah, now reversing no. course, <laughs> but... <laughs> This, there's a lot really to unpack there and think about, Alyssa. And, mm -hmm. you know, as I, as I kind of alluded to, it's just been volatile in this dairy market overall. And for producers, I, I mean, as they watch things here, wrapping up the year, getting ready for 2024, what would you say to dairy producers? What should they be thinking about right now as they take a look at this market and, and really examine what they have going on in their operation, their marketing plans, et cetera. What, what would you tell them right now? I think, you know, important to, like you said, examine how bad things were from a margin perspective earlier this year, and just make sure you don't put yourself in the position to have that happen again. Um, while we do think there's a brighter road ahead, particularly in the second half of 2024, we're a little nervous about the macroeconomic picture, both here in the U.S. as well as around the world, uh, basically from a consumer spending perspective. And, you know, when you think about it, the market doesn't really owe farmers profitability uh, after what looked dire last year. So I think it's important to be proactive, plan ahead and ensure or through DRP or protect margins um, into next year because it will be quite volatile, uh, especially the first half of next year. Just, you know, have your wits about you and certainly plan ahead. Very good thoughts. Very good thoughts. Well, I know you guys at High Ground Dairy have a lot of uh, information available as well for dairy producers. And I'm sure if folks have questions, they could find out more info pretty easily uh, on your website, can't they? Oh, yeah, for sure. We um, we offer dairy revenue protection services for producers, but we also do in-depth global market analysis and price forecasting that I'm sure many producers would find incredibly helpful. And I know they could find that at highgrounddairy.com. That's highgrounddairy.com. Alyssa, great thoughts. Before we run out of time and let you go today, anything final that you could think of you'd share or reiterate to folks here today? 
Well, I certainly didn't mean to be too pessimistic, uh, as there are obviously some of those larger concerns around demand in 2024. There's debt rising. Inflation is still high. That being said, there are some signs of some stronger export opportunities coming back in. And don't forget, we're still waiting for China to come back. Um, it's been a slow recovery in demand from Asia. But again, we think that they'll be due for some increased purchases into the second half of next year, kind of reiterating um, the fact that we believe things will turn a lot more positive for producers then. All right. Fantastic. Well, we do appreciate the time and the thoughts with that. Alyssa Badger with High Ground Dairy. Thanks so much for joining us here today on the program. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, Jesse. Thanks for having me. All right. Coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk with Casey Seymour from Moving Iron on the way right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, no Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today.
Keeping America's Farmers and Ranchers Informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Find your nearest location online by visiting Cenex.com. Well, right now, let's have a conversation about the auction market, the equipment market. How are things trending as we near the end of the year? Joining us now for that discussion and conversation, pleased to have him back with us on the program, Casey Seymour with Moving Iron LLC and the host of the Moving Iron podcast. Casey, it's good to hear from you again. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Doing good, man. Jesse, appreciate you having me back. Well, let's dive in and uh, talk about things here. We're nearing the end of the year, and uh, I know this auction market, there's uh, been some interesting things happening there uh, that you were kind of telling me about a little bit before we went on the air. So get us up to speed. What exactly are you seeing happen in the auction market right now, Casey? So the auction market's doing some very interesting things. There have been a lot of auctions throughout this year. We've seen some really big auctions early which I thought was, you know, going to kind of set the tone for where things were going to be headed um, late into um, into the 20, into 23, what we've seen now. And it's kind of a tale of two tapes here a little bit. So you've got, you know, you had early where there was a lot of really late model, really low houred stuff that went on the market. And now we're seeing um, what I would consider to be your, your normal uh, marketplace with that, the late model stuff, having what you'd think as typical hours on it. And, what we're seeing right now is, I mean, not everything's the same, but for the most part, auction values are are really holding up well um, comparatively to what what I thought they would be going into this time of year. So, um, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you why um, back, you know, back in June and July, why why what it would be happening right now. But I, you know, as I take a look at it, um, heading into end of twenty three, it still shows that there's a fair amount of capital out there, and there's still quite the appetite for machinery, even with interest rates the way they are. That's a great uh, point you bring up. Even with interest rates the way they are nearing the end of the year, there's still concerns out there about the economy and mm-hmm. and folks' uh, pocketbooks tightening up. A lot of uh, tough conversations, I have to think, here the next few weeks ahead with bankers. But yet the auction market, the appetite is there to go out there and, and make some moves. I just find that fascinating right now here, Casey. Yeah, and you know the great thing about the auction market is that that's that's a true tale of what of what we see happening out there right now. And there have been some auctions where there's been a few bloodbaths here and there, but I mean for the most part, if you take a look at where auction values are and where things have settled into, there's there's some still some decent value out there to be had, but there's still a lot of machinery that's bringing some some top tier dollars. Even you know if you even look at some of the stuff back into what we saw going out of late uh, late 22 into early 23 when kind of when I considered that would be, you know, that December to February timeframe, just December 22 into February 23, as kind of the peak of, uh, of the, you know, the quote unquote bubble uh, that we kind of were coming out of right now. But there's a lot of numbers that are falling in there where you're seeing some very comparable stuff. So if, if you're looking to buy something on auction, there's plenty to pick from. But if you're also looking to sell something on the auction, <clears throat> there's a good chance you could get fair value for it. Is there one, uh, equipment segment over another that seems to be kind of the the hotter market right now on the auction block is is there is it tractors combines semis uh you name it what are we seeing what's maybe the the hotter item over everything else right now 
you know, it's, you know, tractors are always kind of up there. You see tractors that are, that are bringing some good money. And if you're looking at tractors that have, um, I, what I'm seeing, if you look at some tractors that kind of have that, that thousand, you know, 1500 hours to like 2,500, 3000 hours to me, where I see the, where you're getting the most value for your machine at auction is, is that, is that machine right there. And I think that kind of does tell, that's really kind of indicative though. I think of a little bit where the price of equipment has gone. And if you look at where some of these customers are, are looking at where they may have bought the last tractor at, where they're buying this tractor at with those prices have changed so much. Um, that could just be the forming of a of a you know quote unquote new kind of buying group of sorts where there's a, a group of folks out there looking for that that price point where maybe two three years ago the last time they bought the tractor that that price point might have been further um, towards uh, towards zero than what we're seeing right now so on the hour scale so I think we're starting to see a few things like that kind of develop where more of the um, customer bases are really kind of starting to solidify into buying groups and and you really start to see those patterns develop well casey thinking about this auction market as we head towards the end of the year maybe some folks have just kind of been keeping a, a, a an eye on it so to speak maybe not jumping in but just watching waiting thinking what are some tips you would share with folks if they're thinking about making any sort of purchases uh, of used equipment here ahead of the uh, end of the year yeah, so I think at the end of the, as you look at stuff going at the end of the year, obviously that's going to be based around what your, what your, you know, tax planner and those kind of things have, have to say and what kind of direction they point you in. But to me, I think the, the buying value for, for used equipment is going to start, you're going to really going to start seeing, my, and this is my opinion, uh, start in February. You know, if you don't have to make that decision this year, um, maybe, maybe take a look at that first quarter and see how that starts to play out going into February, March timeframe. Um, I think there could be some some value right there. But as you're looking at um, going into the end of the year, I mean, I think you take a look at what what's your local dealer have as far as um, inventory goes. What's the price look like, and then where does that what's that price difference look like when you take it to, when you go buy something from the auction? And I think one of the key takeaways from that is if when you buy something on the auction. Um, you know, you're buying a good piece of equipment and all the things that come with that. But there's a lot of different levers that the dealers can pull um, on the auction side of it or on the retail side of it that, that you can't get at um, uh, at the auction side, whether that's, you know, mm -hmm. interest rates or warranty programs or different things like that. So take a hard look at what your local dealer has first before you start looking at what's going on in the auction. But if you're, if you're dead set on the machine coming from the auction and it may be a retirement sale, we've seen a lot of that stuff pop up too. Um, those retirement sales are a great place to shop because one is typically the guy that's selling the stuff is there um, watching it sell. And there's, there's the guy that's owned it, maintained it, looked at it, drove it, operated it, done all the things to it. And so it's a great place to, to go actually see what's going on. And the, and the auctioneer will have that information as well. So I guess from my, my perspective, consignment auctions are great places to go find stuff. But if you can look at those estate sales or those retirement sales, that's one person's stuff and it's easy to kind of make that connection as to was it a good piece or not? You know, is it something I want to spend my money on? So I would lean more towards the estate sale, um, the more retirement sale and, and really pay attention to what's going on there. Because again, you can get the story behind the story when you, when you have to sit down and talk to those people. Casey, you brought up the dealers as well. And as far as uh, dealership inventory, I've heard a lot of talk about 
Uh, a lot of dealers are, are sitting on plenty of machinery, whether it's combines, tractors, et cetera. Are, are you kind of here the same or a lot of dealers still sitting on a fair amount of inventory right now? Yeah. So I think that conversation gets confused a little bit with the amount of equipment versus the amount of dollars that are on the line. Right. Okay. And so when you look at that conversation, yeah, there are, there's a, there's a fair amount of machines out there. Combines being one of them. There's, there's a lot of combines out there, a lot of row crop tractors out there too, but the dollars that are associated with those machines um, are also pretty heavy too. So there, there are machines out there right now where there's an issue um, to take it, to pay attention to, but you know, at the end of the day, Jesse, there's, there's a, a lot of opportunity on the dealer side and, and the, uh, the retail buyer side to really make some things happen here because I mean, where everybody's sitting at, these interest rates are going to continue to be put pressure on not only the, the, the dealer, but also um, the people, the customers coming in to make those trade-ins. Cause you're looking at some of these guys are looking at, Hey, I got seven and a half percent interest that you want me to pay now. And I'm trading, you know, three and a half percent to get that. So there's a lot of, you know, looking at leasing, looking at different aspects where you can get that, that uh, uh, payment to where you need to be at. And I think that's what we're seeing right now when you, when we had those conversations with, with dealers across, uh, across North America. Well, Casey, great stuff. And I know, uh, again, uh, you host the moving iron podcast uh, underneath moving iron LLC. Give us a plug for the podcast. I know you do a lot of great stuff there. Uh, I'm sure folks could find you on all the uh, streaming platforms and much more. Can't they? Yeah, anywhere you find a podcast, you can find the Moving Iron podcast. You can go to movingironllc.com, and that'll give you uh, everything there. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, and check out the YouTube channel at Moving Iron Podcast. Fantastic. Casey Seymour with the Moving Iron Podcast, Moving Iron LLC. Always appreciate a few minutes of your time, Casey. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA. We'll have you back on the show again soon. I appreciate it, Jesse. Take care of yourself. Once again, Casey Seymour there with Moving Iron LLC and the Moving Iron Podcast joining us to discuss what's happening in that equipment market here in the auction market as we near the end of the year. All right, well, coming up next, we're going to talk with Madison Kovarna with South Dakota State University Extension. She's got some tips for winter bull management. We'll get to that conversation on the way right after this here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. We'll be back with more right after the break. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and medical expenses are covered. If you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over 60, call 24-7. 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. 
Grains this morning are mixed. Wheat is higher, led by spring wheat, while beans are lower, and corn is hovering on either side of unchanged. About 88% of the U.S. corn crop has been harvested. That's as of Sunday, up from 81% the week earlier, and ahead of the prior five-year average of 86%. U.S. winter wheat planting was almost complete with 93% in the ground, up from 90% a week earlier, and on par with the average. About 81% of this crop has emerged from the ground. That's up from 75% last week and 80% at this point last year. 47% of the crop was in good to excellent condition, down from 50% a week earlier, but well ahead of the 32% that earned top rating during the same week in 2022. And for soybeans, 95% are in the bin at the start of this week versus 91% that was collected both a week and a year earlier. Now in Brazil, it remains hot and dry in the very productive center-west region, with just very widely scattered thunderstorms providing very localized relief from triple-digit heat. Furthermore, forecast models are again pushing the more widespread relief later, with soaking rains now expected to start on Monday. That's a day or two later than what was in the forecast yesterday. Next week's forecast still looks impressively wet, but the delays are reminiscent of other forecasts over the past six weeks or so that failed to bring good rains forward in the forecast and then disappointed when they didn't arrive. Now, China has booked 62 cargoes of soybeans last week. That's roughly double the normal weekly pace for early November. Bulk of the purchases were by state-owned enterprises for U.S. beans to be shipped December to March. Private crushers remained relatively quiet in the market, leading to speculation that the state-owned enterprises were buying as a goodwill gesture ahead of tomorrow's scheduled meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden. And crude oil prices are over 1% higher as that dollar falls. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you today by Cenex Premium Diesels, a diesel that doesn't mess around. We want to talk about winter management of herd bulls. Joining us for that conversation here today Madison Kavarna, South Dakota State University Extension Beef Nutrition Field Specialist. And Madison, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have the conversation about helping producers make sure those herd bulls have a good breeding season following this winter. 
Yeah, and you know, I think about this, and we were talking a little bit uh, before we went on the air, how we've already seen some snow in parts of the Northern Plains, and so uh, a very timely topic here, thinking about winter management, and I noticed you just published an article about this on the uh, SDSU Extension website, and it's um, amazing for me to think how often bowls can kind of get you know, slip through the cracks a little bit during uh, winter months with uh, breeding breeding season coming to a close, et cetera. It's, it's kind of interesting how sometimes we, we forget about those bulls. Yeah, so the bulls have a unique job with their herd. They're really only working about 60 to 90 days out of the year, depending what your breeding season and your calving seasons look like. Um, but for a lot of people, especially in this area, we're really focused on that spring calving season. So those bulls are hard at work all summer. And then by the time winter rolls around, we bring them home and then it's about time for the cows to start coming home, get back on feed and get ready to have those calves in the spring. So they just kind of get the short end of the stick there. They just, um, we kind of tend to forget about them, even though we shouldn't. And it's something that some people are better than others. And that's one thing with this article. I'm really hoping that it brings some light to people, just some things that we might, uh, we've been in the game for a while, just some things that might slip underneath the radar as we continue on throughout our years of raising good cattle here in the Midwest. Definitely. Well, you had a few different uh, topics you highlighted here, and I want to go through those uh, one by one because I think they're all equally important. And the first one definitely makes sense to me. You think about winter months, cold, snow, etc. Frostbite could be an issue. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So when we're talking about frostbite in bulls, it's more of frostbite of the actual scrotum of the bull. So that frostbite can actually cause some severe tissue damage depending on how bad it is. Um, and with that, it does heal with time. So we tend to think that, oh, they'll heal. It'll be okay. Once it warms up, everything will be all right. Um, but there's actually some research out of North Dakota State University that looked at the severity of frostbite that bulls encounter over those winter months. Um, and it actually pretty profoundly affects their breeding soundness score that comes that next spring when we test them before they go out with the cows. And even if your bull experienced moderate frostbite at some point in the winter, you can already reduce your satisfactory breeders by about 50%, um, 25% will drop off into that questionable category where you might have to retest them before your vet's fully confident to send them out with some cows. And that's just a lot of extra money that comes out of the pocketbook with bulls either not coming back and having to replace them or just having that vet come out for an extra trip. Some easy ways to prevent fr frostbite in your bulls. Um, it's not necessarily going to be babying them and putting them in a barn all winter and never letting them outside. Um, just simply giving them a dry place to lay. Um, if they're out on a pasture pen, uh, giving them a tree belt or some sort of wind protection with some bedding down. Just to let them get out of that snow, out of that wet mud that we might see uh, during that later winter when it starts to warm up a little bit. Those wet and cold conditions increase the risk of frostbite. So we're really just trying to give them a nice, dry, warm place to stay out of that cold and prevent that tissue damage so that when they come back in the spring, they're ready to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, what about nutrition during the winter months? I'd have to think making sure that uh, keeping that diet in good uh, in a good condition and, and making sure those bulls are, are well fed and taken care of that's got to be uh, uh, even more important during the uh, cold winter months 
Yeah, absolutely. So yearling bulls are what we're most concerned of over the winter time. Your mature bulls who have been with you for a handful of years, they're okay being managed on a pasture or an all forage diet um, without giving them anything extra. As long as the diet that they're eating contains about eight to 10% crude protein and they can, it's available at 2% of their body weight every day. Um, So those mature bulls are definitely a lot easier to keep track of pretty low maintenance with them. But those yearling bulls that we just brought on or just brought into the herd are the ones that can definitely require a little more attention. The biggest thing with yearlings, we have to remember that to some people, we think they're full grown and they're ready to go. But yearlings still have a lot of growing left to do. Uh, So that's one of the things when we're feeding them over the winter, we got to feed them enough to continue to grow, but also replace that body weight that's lost naturally over the breeding season with the hard work that they're putting in. It's pretty normal for any bull to lose about 100 to 200 pounds over that breeding season. Um, No shock there. However, with those yearling bulls, it's a little harder for them to put that weight back on just since they're putting a lot of energy into growing themselves. So with bulls, with those yearling bulls, we should target that average daily gain of about a pound and a half to two pounds a day. And then with that, you can easily achieve that with a diet crude protein of 10 to 11%. Um, But we can talk about nutrition and make sure they have a good diet. But the most important part as well is making sure those bulls have a good vitamin and mineral program that's being provided to them year round. Definitely, definitely. Well, and I think too, with good nutrition, uh, that comes, uh, that brings body condition score into play here as well, doesn't it, Madison? Yes. So with bulls, the ideal body condition score for a mature cow going into the calving season or the summer is about a five. So body condition score of five, it's a scale of one to nine for those who are unfamiliar. Um, ideally entering the breeding season, we want our bulls to be that body condition score of a six. So we want them to have a little bit more condition on them. That just lets us have a little bit of a safety net for when they go out to breeding season and they get really focused on chasing the cows around Um, breeding those cows, they tend to forget to eat their breakfast in the morning. So it's important that we make sure we (laughs) give them as much, uh, back, um, as much support as we can going into that job. Um, and if they do have that little bit of extra weight, they can lose some without negatively impacting their sperm quality. But one of the things too, is we don't want skinny bulls, but we also don't want fat bulls. So if we start getting into that body condition score seven or eight, uh, there's potential for, issues with temperature regulation of those testes where that sperm is being produced so we can actually impact the sperm quality there as well. Um, And to prevent some last minute scrambling to get some weight on your bulls or to take some weight off of them for that season, ideally producers should be out looking at their bulls about 90 to 120 days prior to when they want to turn them out with the cows just so they have plenty of time to get those bulls up ready to go. We don't want to be 30 days out and be pushing them super hard to get that weight on or pushing them super hard to get that weight off. Well, I know you mentioned earlier about giving them a dry place to lay. And I think that will tie us into housing and exercise too. And I think especially across the Northern States, you know, you get a foot or so of snow out in the feed yard and, and it could be tough for, you know, your herd to move around and really do anything. So so talk a little bit about managing housing and exercise during the winter months for us. Yeah, the biggest thing with housing bulls over the winter is we don't want them to get lazy, essentially. Um, we want them to keep moving around, having to travel 
uh, to mimic what they're going to be doing that breeding season. A uh, problem that can be encountered is if your bulls are in a small pen over the winter, don't really have to do a lot of moving around. Uh, they can actually lose some of that stamina. And then when we put them out with the cows in the spring, they just can't keep up with that herd. Uh, you might see some reduction in those cows being bred. So exercise is extremely important. Uh, and the, one of the easiest ways to get them to move around a pen is just to put where they eat and where they drink on opposite ends. If that's an option, um, really makes them kind of go back and forth naturally. Uh, make sure that they're still moving those legs, keeping that stamina up over that time. Uh, one thing that's pretty familiar is that bulls will fight with each other. Uh, it's just those extra that extra testosterone running through their system. Uh, they tend to fight for that social ranking. Uh, that's one of the things too. You want to make sure that they have enough space so they're not fighting each other for that. Uh, they're kind of their space to lay down and eat. Uh, so if you're looking at feeding, you want to provide each bull about 24 to 30 inches of feeder space just to allow them to all get their space, be able to eat efficiently and get what they need to do. Also, it can allow, it can allow for the reduction of incidences of fighting. Uh, every bull understands that they've got their space. You're still going to see some, but you might actually see a reduction in those injuries that might occur. A lot of great thoughts. Anything final before we run out of time, Madison, that you want to share or reiterate for folks listening in today? Yeah, absolutely. So with bulls, the biggest thing is that they have a pretty simple job to go out and breed the cows, but they really do have a very particular job within our herds. Uh, they really are the ones that drive our fertility of our cows. We can have fertile cows all we want, but if those bulls aren't able to do their job, we're kind of missing the ball there. And ideally, we want our, our bulls to be able to do their job properly so we can get those cows calving sooner and we can get a more unified calf group. So letting those bulls kind of stay at the front of your mind uh, year round is a really good, really good management strategy to keep the herd in good production. Find more details online, extension.sdstate.edu. We've been talking with Madison Kavarna, SDSU Extension Beef Nutrition Field Specialist. Madison, thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Great stuff there. Really good tips just uh, to remember as you enter the winter months here and things get colder, especially across parts of the plains. Madison Kavarna there with South Dakota State University discussing winter bull management. Good stuff there. And again, the SDSU Extension website, uh, they have a lot of great information available there, extension.sdstate.edu, or I'm sure your local university extension website in your state has uh, just as much uh, good information. You can check that out as well. All right, coming up next, I'll have a look at some of the latest news headlines in agriculture before we wrap it up today here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. We'll be back with more right after this. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, 
to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Dave Kaiser, a South Dakota farmer and trustee for the CHS Foundation, about recent news related to CHS's support of FFA. Dave, why is FFA important to CHS, the CHS Foundation, and the cooperative system? CHS and the cooperative system and every other ag company needs talented people. In fact, the future of agriculture depends on the next generation of leaders. The CHS Foundation has long been a supporter of FFA because it is the number one organization dedicated to developing those next leaders. Well, tell us about the new commitment CHS and the CHS Foundation is making to FFA and how it will be used. The CHS Foundation has made a commitment to provide nearly $4.3 million to National FFA over the next three years. This is the largest gift in CHS Foundation's 75-year history. This gift will support FFA and its programs in four ways. We are helping to fund FFA programs in 17 states. It will provide scholarships so FFA members can attend conferences and contests. It helps the Workforce Development Program which introduces students to ag careers. And the gift will support the National Association of Ag Educators, which helps recruit and retain ag teachers and build strong teaching programs. Dave, how will future ag leaders benefit from those programs? They'll be exposed to valuable information about agriculture and cooperatives with plenty of hands-on learning experiences. They'll learn from FFA advisors and ag teachers and from each other through robust and engaging programs and they'll be able to explore careers and build their skills by participating in supervised ag experience programs. That's Dave Kaiser, a trustee for the CHS Foundation, joining us on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from 
Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by our friends at Senex. Senex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. You can find your nearest Senex location with their everyday products powered locally online at Senex.com, or in most cases, you could find it right around the corner. Again, everyday products powered locally by Senex. Well, beef on dairy. Farmers have been interested in it for a few years now, and it's only gaining momentum. This is according to Tom Earlywine. He's the director of nutritional services with Purina Feed. He says the beef on dairy cattle industry is in a critical time now where it needs to provide the best animals to market in order to secure its place before the beef herd comes back. The next two two years will be the kind of the set the stage, so to speak, for the future. And the reason for that is simply because the next two to three years, the cow-calf herd will gradually rebuild. And so the beef cow-calf guys can, will be able to provide more beef in the next two to three years. What's really why this is such a key, crucial point in time right now is because there is such high demand, but also we're setting ourselves up for or either success once that cow-calf herd comes back as dairy producers and, and providing some of the beef market and can maintaining part of that, or for failure from the standpoint, we didn't provide the proper animal, didn't provide the best animal that they, they, they could be provided in the marketplace. Purita Feed has been researching how to best provide nutrition for these cross animals since the practice started gaining momentum roughly six years ago. In that time, Early Wine says they found a number of attributes. Once you breed them to a, a beef breed, the beef breed genetics start to take over and really help produce a lot of muscle if you allow them to get to that potential. And so what we found in the calves is that if you fed them enough nutrition, the traditional dairy Holstein uh, steer calf was fed two quarts twice a day. If you fed them at least three quarts twice a day, for example, to start with, and if that at least had 27% protein in that three quarts twice a day, more like mom's milk, some of those things, that those animals will respond with a tremendous amount of muscle growth to the point where we've even taken ultrasounds of these babies and found that they actually started already started out with a bigger ribeye area because we provided them more nutrition. They also start out with a healthier gut because because we provided them with more nutrition. Um, but the hybrid vigor in these calves, plus combined with their beef genetics, if you allow them to grow to their potential, in other words, provide enough protein and energy, they really perform. The earlier, the better when it comes to the critical stage of getting the quality and quantity of nutrition into crossbred calves. 
the ability to affect that young animal is the greatest in, in utero. And then after it's born, it's still high. You can still influence it. And every day after it's born, it gradually decreases to the point, usually about puberty, you're, you're getting to the point where it's almost too late. So you think about the newborn, colostrum and colostrum management, obviously doing the best job you can with a newborn there. But then after that, and this is a big difference in the dairy model of raising calves versus the way a beef calf would be raised. It'd be raised on mom, right? And so it's going to drink maybe three gallons a day. We typically fed these dairy calves a gallon or a gallon and a half. So not enough. And then the beef calf would normally be weaned at four to six months of age. We typically wean at two months of age. We have to work hard to make up for those challenges. And one of them is easy. You just feed them better. But the other one is the weaning age. And so giving them enough time through weaning, allowing the gut to develop, allowing the immune system to develop. We can do it in the young calf. The longer you wait to try to do it, you can say, oh, I'll make up for it later. It's impossible on a young calf to do that. While these are critical findings, Purina Feed continues to look forward at other aspects of nutrition within the animal's life and beyond, and this includes reducing liver abscesses and improving carcass composition. We've developed a milk replacer specifically for these crossbreds, and guess what our research is on today? The next version of that milk replacer, <laughs> and it's called Prime Start. And our research today is about getting to the next level with that milk replacer. We know it works really well, but we know that, for example, the amino acid content of those milk replacers or the, the just the total plane of nutrition provided those milk replacers. Plus, we need to follow all of these animals all the way out to slaughter because that's the end market, right? That's what counts. And so if we can change some things today in our milk replacer that will influence that carcass, that carcass composition. Our preliminary research so far shows that we can. Now can we do even better? Can we influence it, but influence it even more to the point where we consistently raise an animal that maybe has fewer liver abscesses through the feedlot, maybe consistently uh, will end up with quicker time to slaughter, but a higher quality grade, more marbling, um, a better uh, ribeye shape, for example. All those things are critical factors in the meat market. And once again, that is Tom Earlywine with Purina Feed. We'll also take a look at news headlines. Uh, we got the news over the weekend that House and Senate Ag Committee leaders have agreed to a one-year extension of the current farm bill before we get a new five-year farm bill completed. Will retail food and feeding advocates join the American Farm Bureau to press for improvements in any new farm bill? Their message was the same as American Farm Bureau's. A new farm bill is needed urgently. Leslie Saracen heads the Food Industry Association representing thousands of food retailers and wholesalers. As of September 30th, there was a provision that ended and has not been extended, and we don't know what's going to happen. And that relates to the transaction fees that are associated with SNAP purchases and, and other government-provided programming. Saracen told a National Press Club gathering food retailers already have a razor-thin profit margin. We on the retail side will continue to pay our part of the transaction fee that's associated with that. But the other side now is not required to pay that part of the transaction fee. So then the question becomes, are we going to have to pay that at the retail sector as well? And in a business that over the last 40 years has averaged a 1% to 2% margin, that's just not sustainable. Nor, says Feeding America CEO Claire Bobino fontenot is the same spending for a growing hungry population as she calls for a doubling of Farm Bill Emergency Food Aid, or TFAP. I think it's regrettable if we have resolved that the best we can do is what we've done. So I actually don't um, embrace the idea that we can't do more in this Farm Bill. 
Well, and unless new funding is found, the chances of a fight among Farm Bill riders over farm versus feeding programs, that's increasingly likely to continue as things are negotiated for a new five-year Farm Bill. All right, well, that's going to do it for AOA here today. We're out of time. Coming up the next few days, I'm going to be broadcasting live from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention in Kansas City, Missouri. Looking forward to a lot of great conversations during that event. Coming up on tomorrow's AOA, markets with Matt Bennett from agmarket.net and also a discussion with Tillman White, operations manager with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. That and more coming up here tomorrow on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. Call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness.